Welcome to the Use Guys in That Podcast. I am your host, Jay Colo, joined by fellow host Chris G, Randy, and Angel, who is also nice enough to operate the soundboard. You can check us out on useguyspod.com. We have a store and resource page up along with recommended reading material. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at useguyspod, Patreon forward slash useguyspod, and, and you can email us at info at useguyspod.com. Today is a bonus episode. We're very pleased to have Jeremiah Harding uh, drop by and visit with us. Uh, we're going to be discussing a myriad of topics, you know, part of the liberty movement, anarcho-coalitionism. His website is jeremiahharding.com, and you can find him on Twitter at insanityisfree, one word. Jeremiah, thank you very much for coming on to the show to talk to us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll, I'll be pretty much anywhere people will have me. I've got a, a, a reputation as the most aggressively negative person on Liberty Twitter, so most people don't have me on their show. Well, we're happy to have you. We are happy to have you. I just wanted to ask you uh, to start off, like we were going to talk about the the state of the of the liberty movement, the good and the bad. If you want to give us your take on how things are going, and we'll take it from there. Okay. Well, I I think a lot of the the sorts of negatives could be boiled down to the same thing that Konkin, uh, Samuel Edward Konkin the Third, who wrote the New Libertarian Manifesto which was the first book for agorists, um, sort of the manual for how to use the counter-economy to smash the state. Um, he, he had initial concerns with the idea of libertarianism, which both in America and in France started as, a, as an anarchist idea, um, ceding values um, to a partisan system. And he called those people in that partisan system partyarchs, and um, basically his, his qualm was that once people started to seek liberty from the state, uh, using the state's mechanisms, that they would lose everything eventually. And I think that played its way out to, to this day. Like, um, I, I've, I was in a, an argument that I've had way too many times uh, last night. Um, that is, and you know, it's still continuing to, today because of course it is, but you know... Um, that, like, libertarianism and anarchy aren't the same thing and shouldn't be used in the same context. Um, and my contention is, and has been for a significant period of time, that, um, that libertarianism started out anarchist and gradually became, um, a mechanism for the state. Um, and because of that, yeah, you can call yourself a libertarian if you're a minarchist. But don't you dare claim 
that libertarians aren't anarchists and can't be anarchists because that's not only ahistorical and contrary to fact, but it's absurd since the word liberty means freedom from constraint, which means, you know, anarchy is the ultimate freedom from constraint. And that's my contention. Anarchy is 100% libertarian and 0% authoritarian. It's the zero point on that scale where you're not willing to inflict your authority on anyone else. And I'm not talking about, like, if you take the political compass test, because all those tests are retarded. Um, but the ultimate, like, test is whether or not you would employ either aggression or some sort of systemic control um, to stop people from doing something which does not violate the rightly held boundaries of somebody else. And, um, and many libertarians um, these days, because it's been watered down, would definitely do that. And that's, that's where you start to get uh, a lot of people in who either think they're libertarians, even though their ideas are fundamentally anti-liberty, or who like think they're anarchists, even though what they're doing would fundamentally result in a state. Take, for example, um, there are some tankies who call themselves libertarians, specifically libertarian socialists. And um, there are real libertarian socialists, mind you, uh, but the tankies are there too. And in order to distinguish between the two, you often have to ask questions that get you accused of gatekeeping. And uh, these questions... Um, are, are difficult to answer if you're a statist. You know, qu questions like, how would you get your transitory period going? How would you, um, you know, how would you transition to a s stateless society without forming a state in order to take my, quote, private property from me? Um, and the obverse exists, too. I only address that first because I often, especially lately, because I'm keeping my promise to attack the right to when they're in power, um, get accused of being a communist. I wanted to start from the left perspective there of criticism. But the obverse exists too in the form of people like Volnost and, uh, and, and the, the quote, Hoppians, who often either don't read Hoppe at all or read, uh, read that, uh, that, that, that uh, particular author and treat his words as unassailable gold, um, treating it as a sort of religion with a Bible that you can't criticize. The same can be said for people who quote Rothbard as though nothing he said was assailable. I, uh, I, I still have a significant portion of quote uh, libertarians mad at me for criticizing Rothbard's alliance with the paleocons, which are definite high status uh, um, party arcs. Uh, as Konkin would call them, uh, and his particular right-wing alliance, where he had a list of things that were fundamentally anti-left, uh, designed to make the libertarian message palatable to them. Um, and eventually, that resulted in one of those uh, lists, uh, listed enumerated things being um, unleash the cops on the bums and vagrants. And his essential idea was, you know, who cares what happens to them when that happens? They've been unproductive. You know, their life doesn't matter at that point. And if they really want to change, they'll stop being poor. I think that that's a bad way 
to get people on your side. Um, it's especially if you want uh, people from the opposite side to start seeing things your way, since a lot of those people come from that poor working class kind of environment where they don't like the uh, the idea of their class being suppressed uh, violently by the state. Uh, many libertarians come to it because they have seen the deleterious effects of the state on the market. Um, many libertarians also come to it because they have been victims of deleterious effects of the state on things in general, especially police violence. Um, and a lot of that police violence is the result of things like the war on poverty and drugs, which have only increased poverty and drugs. So uh, a lot of these people would recoil and have recoiled at the, that sort of notion. And uh, when you mindlessly say that you can't criticize somebody like Rothbard, even though people like Konkin successfully did it and wrote an entire book to criticize anarcho-capitalism and form a better alternative in his view, um, it forms this sort of religious mentality. Same with um, leftists and uh, Proudhon, Kropotkin, Marx. Um, everybody's got their guy they go to. And when you do that and when you like sort of cede intellectual ground to people you consider your betters, you never improve. I think you should always challenge uh, your ideas against better versions of your ideas rather than their ideas um, being your gold standard. And if somebody's got something good to say that's quotable, by all means, do it. I was in a podcast yesterday with one of the uh, few podcasts that'll tolerate me. Um, it's called Unshackled Liberty. Those guys are uh, Christian anarchists. and uh, Well, one of them's a Christian anarchist. One of them's a Christian libertarian who's leaning anarchist more and more. But essentially, um, they, uh, they had me on yesterday for part two, essentially, of a debate um, with uh, Derek is not gay on Twitter of the Burning Boots podcast, uh, who already had me on. And basically, he and the, uh, the, the co-hosts at Burning Boots... Uh, didn't very much appreciate my particular school of um, anarchist thought, which is something that I formed in order to address some of these concerns. Um, but basically, it was a debate about libertarian unity. And I did quote some people. I quoted Konkin. I also quoted uh, Walter Block and Randolph Bourne. Um, be but I quoted them minimally. Like, he, he later accused me of just reading all the time, but... Like, 95% of that was not reading. I just read when it needed to be read, um, or when it would be more expedient or more source-directed to read. But a lot of people just quote somebody as though that's enough, and it's not. Um, ultimately, there's, there's some truth to the idea that uh, I believe it was Corey Massimino of Pizzatarians uh, put out, I think that was him, um, who said, kill your heroes. Like... You know, uh, he, he paraphrased somebody else that I can't remember. If, if you see Ron Paul on the road, kill him. Um, and it's not like an actual statement, right? He's not suggesting we go murder Ron Paul. The idea is that if somebody is your ideological source, you need to improve upon their ideas rather than consider them the be-all and end-all because nobody is. We're all flawed, fragile creatures sort of wiggling around on this earth so the general idea that that like that i see as a main problem in libertarianism is the fact that people get too much hero worship they do this 
like be all end all bullshit way too much, and uh, it ultimately ends up with uh, with <laughs> with the considerations for uh, ethical seating and um, you know like forfeiting ethics uh, for for pragmatism or because you've got to forfeit those ethics in order to be consistent with libertarian philosopher X. Um, and it results in a, a lot of sort of muddling of, of reason, logic, and, um, and generally what could be a very strong movement for liberty and freedom is dumbed down to the point where we're literally having conversations on Twitter about whether or not Nazis and tankies can be uh, libertarians or whether or not you can be a libertarian racist or whether or not you can be a pedophile and a libertarian and this is why the movement will ultimately not see much ground because people aren't willing to have the the hard-nosed realism that comes with admitting that sometimes your leaders are full of shit which should be a guiding principle of libertarianism given our suspicion of the state but somehow when you get a libertarian and thought leader, uh, suddenly it's okay for them to be uncriticizable. Um, and I disagree with that fully, which is why I go hard against pretty much everyone, um, the government left and right, and uh, and people in the libertarian movement uh, specifically. And uh, that's why I went against, uh, you know, people like 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 Jocelyn at, uh, at um, the redheaded libertarian, who still doesn't like me calling her that, despite her calling herself that in articles she publicized, um, you know, and and various other um, people uh, who just who think they're big enough that they're uncriticizable. Um, I still remember my first time of of interacting personally with Luke Rutkowski at uh, We Are Change. I criticized him because he was speaking of America and American history as we. And I said, it's not we. I didn't do that. And he said, it is you because you're part of America. And I'm like, this is libertarianism? Um, <laughs> so, like, th there's just so many problems with this, like, personality cultist hero worship bullshit um, that should be left at the door of the state. I mean, the state is the reason these mentalities exist. You're supposed to respect your elders, you respect the leaders, respect the institution, respect the status quo. Libertarianism is supposed to challenge all of that. And if it doesn't, it's not fundamentally libertarian because you're still enslaved to the status paradigm. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I'm the abrasive guy who goes in there and uh, and <laughs> makes people upset. So... That's uh, that's that's one of the reasons people don't generally have me on their show. But that's, I would say, the main problem with libertarianism. It allows for a lot of what's called entryists or people from other movements um, trying to co-opt the momentum of a genuine liber liberty movement to try and push their bullshit. Like, very specifically, and, you know, stop me if you got any questions, but um, very specifically... Uh, about a year and a half ago, I went against this pedophile who was trying to claim that anarchy uh, was like the inroad to pedophilia. And they didn't say it on their main account. I just recognized their voice because my 
my brain has this bullshit file system where like it, it picks up stupid amounts of information. The only the only thing I'm not really good with is names. Um but I can remember pretty much everything else for a very long time and I don't know why but I use it. And uh, so I recognized this person's voice immediately when they were on somebody else's stream arguing that uh, that libertarian and anarchist principles could be used to uh, validate uh, relationships with people as young as 13. Um, and I called this person out repeatedly and publicly, and uh, most people didn't unfollow them. You know, I watched it happen. They and they eventually started regaining followers, even even after the other people had unfollowed them. And many other people accused me of witch hunting because I couldn't prove it, despite them publicly admitting to it. Um, and this person also had a server where they were allowing for uh, uh, pedophiles to interact with children, and you know. I, I challenged them, and I also published their server list, the, the members there. And some of the people in the libertarian community didn't like that because there were members of that server um, where, where pedophiles were allowed to talk with children um, in the liberty movement. And so instead of saying, yeah, shit, we shouldn't have been there, um, instead of saying yeah, you know, you're, you're right, there's a problem here with, with uh, association and we look bad. Um, they went after me, accused me of witch hunting, which I didn't do, and, uh, and, and various other things. And ultimately, um, I had to deal with shit for many months because of it, um, and still occasionally do, not the least of which was a censorship campaign by uh, some alleged Hoppians uh, to try and, um, and, and, and remove me from the internet because of uh, my particular approach here. Uh, they literally said, we want him removed from the internet and had this entire hashtag devoted to it. But that's like just my personal experience. Plenty of other people have had similar experiences. And when you have this collection of people theoretically practicing philosophy, falling victim to the same trappings um, because of interests who are people who try to infiltrate a movement with some momentum that they didn't earn, um, it really kind of looks like libertarians are, have already failed, which is why we won't get numbers. It's why we won't get membership, because not only can we not stop attacking people who might share our goals, which is what Ann Cole is essentially designed to do. It's designed to hone our goals and make us more um, of a threat to the state, um, the like base level impression people get, and uh, and the jokes that they can make about us uh, are all related to like Nazis, tankies, and consent, right? So th the whole notion here is there needs to be a house cleaning and a reckoning of ideas, um, and libertarianism is a beautiful philosophy if it's actually libertarianism, but so many of the people who are involved are in it for their own personal bullshit reasons, and they don't care for smashing the state, they just want to feel justified in being trash. I, I you know, I think I, I, I really, that resonates with me a lot, the fact that you caught heat for exposing people that are up to that kind of behavior, like, and you know what, I'm glad that you brought that up, because 
I know that Angel, our soundboard operator, Chris, and myself, and I know Randy, we all are in agreement. Like, this is the hardest challenge, me personally, if we're going to play the non-aggression principle game, is when you fuck with children, we all agree here on the show that you should be fed into the fucking wood chipper feet first. That's just how we feel. And I would like to get your take on that. Like, how do you, I mean, what is the proper response to that sort of behavior? Like, if we're going to speak theoretically and we're in a post-state environment and we find somebody that's up to that behavior that has actually committed those acts um, with people who can't give consent, what do you, how do you feel about that? Personally, I think social ostracism is the answer. Um, and I think that it, uh, that it offers all the same protections to children specifically. Because most people aren't going to sacrifice their literal whole participation in society in order to publicly be one. Now, if they're found to have engaged in contact, uh, that is an exploitative uh, relationship with um, uh, an undeveloped being. And in this particular case, that undeveloped being would someday grow up to be sapient in in, in a full context. Um, So totally ethical to... Uh, use whatever means you feel are necessary to physically dispose of that person because that person is clearly a threat to not only future generations with the abuse that uh, the scars that abuse leaves um, and the abuse cycle it perpetuates um, but they're also violating the non-aggression principle in doing so now being a pedophile i think social ostracism works um, I think the fact that a lot of stores could just say we don't allow pedophiles here and have like maybe a public pedophile like uh, block list for your for your business would discourage people from being public about it and uh, like going in private to seek private therapy for it might be the answer uh, to that person's concerns so that they could seek actual healthy like even playing field relationships with like adults instead of being the exploitative and manipulative bastards they are. Um, So in this particular context, that would look like a store with terms of service. Like, you know, you can't bring, like, dildos in here. You can't can't smoke uh, crack on the premises. Um, You can't be a pedophile. Little rules that you would, like, post on the door or have as a, um, a terms of service for entering that you would accept by scanning a QR code on your phone. Little things like that, you know. Um, there, there are many ways to go about it, but I think social ostracism would solve the problem because a lot of people wouldn't want to be public at that point once it was considered pariah and once um, being public about it could get you isolated from all these public environments. You wouldn't be able to participate in the social life, which... Humans are social animals. It's the reason COVID is hitting a lot of people hard because they can't have the same social life that they were having because of the state. Not because of the virus, by the way, but because of the state. Let's be clear. Um, so I think that the fact that this would emotionally damage them and uh, and cause them some significant emotional distress would probably reduce the incidence of these things happening. And it doesn't happen right now. It uh, it like it happens on small scales. But nobody is actively making these sorts of policies. Like, and that's the reason Twitter is such a fertile breeding ground. And same with Discord, who permanently banned me for going against pedophilia. Um, that's the reason Twitter is such fertile ground. Because they don't just have a policy. They don't just have a rule that says no pedophiles. 
they specifically allow pedophiles as long as they, quote, aren't glorifying it or something like that, aren't encouraging it and aren't posting the results. Um, but that leaves a huge amount of room open for interpretation. And given the fact that they don't simply ban pedophiles, it means a lot of them can fly under the radar or just send a DM. So there's like if if, if people like big organizations, Twitter, Walmart, um, fucking your local post office started to make policies against pedophiles being there and engaging with their services, pedophiles would stop being public about it. People like Daniel Ruminos would stop putting their face to their public, uh, quote, sci-fi writings where they write real people into kid-fucking situations. Um, and, you know, people like Todd Nickerson wouldn't put his face behind uh, public defense because the more of these institutions sort of make it seem apparent that, uh, that pedophilia is not acceptable, the more mainstream pedophilia rejection will be. And the more, like, mainstream the idea of maybe physically stopping these people in one way or another would become. So I think social ostracism has the power to deal with that problem. And a host of other, you know, like, insert, insert social issue. Pedophilia, like, just take that out of the equation and insert social issue. If you can't interact with your favorite store because you raped a chick, you probably won't rape a chick. Yeah, I think that that's fair, uh, and you know that's a. I, I really appreciate your point of view, and I thought I think that those are real practical solutions, you know, in our even now, like you said, but also in a post-state environment. I wanted to ask you, uh, what is uh, anarcho-coalitionism, and do you feel that if there are some anarchists that are beyond forming any worthwhile coalition with? Uh, well, if they're authentically anarchist, no. The, I mean, but that's the thing. I have um, I have a saying that some pe is some people hate the right or the left more than they hate the state. And what that means is that they're willing to work with the authoritarian right to fight the authoritarian left or vice versa. Um, in the case of Rothbard, uh, his uh, alliance with the populist right failed miserably. Um, and... Like, it failed after he ceded a bunch of ground, after saying the state is a gang of thieves, saying it's okay for that gang to go around and rough up poor people isn't a, isn't a great look. Um, so, like, in, in that particular context, um, like, if they're authentically anarchist, 100%, sure, they are work-withable. Um, whether they choose to work with me or not is a separate issue, but they're definitely work-withable. But, like, that's one of the other things. People accuse Ann Cole of being a cult or a hate group or something like that. Um, and, you know, they don't like it because we're essentially a group who doesn't take shit. Um, and one of the, like, core pr principles of this, I guess, is, um, like, we are militant, organized panarchy. Um, and, like, we are hostile to the state in general. And uh, and don't like the fact that a lot of states are trying to hijack our motion. So, um, effectively, uh, that precludes a lot of the people who call themselves anarchists. But, for instance, 
would cuck to Pinochet if there was an American version of him. Um, or would cuck to Lenin if there was an American version of him. Um, the ultimate truth here is that there are a lot of people who are libertarian in name only or a fair-weather libertarian who in a foxhole would become statist immediately. So those people I don't think are workwithable. But specifically, anarcho-coalitionism is... Um, no, that is if I answered your question, right? Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, Anarcho-coalitionism specifically, are all of you familiar with splinter cell theory? Uh, somewhat familiar, but maybe not our listeners, if you wouldn't mind explaining that. Okay. Basically, you've got, uh, you've got the head of an organization and uh, branches that come off that, uh, that, that head. Um, and those branches are sort of like operational directors. Um, and, like, there are organizational hierarchies generally have give and take between elements, right? Well, splinter cells uh, sort of, like, give information down, um, but don't necessarily get that information back up. They have all plausible deniability, and, uh, and elements of them can be fractured at any point. Um and uh, basically just like you can burn an operation immediately. Um, I liked this concept when I was a statist, and I thought it was a very effective way to organize essentially what amounts to black ops. Um, and when I became anarchist, I still thought it was a good idea, but I didn't really know of a way to implement it, and it didn't really strike me until later that we could do this with anarchist coalitions. It would just be leaderless. There wouldn't be the top of the hierarchy. So, effectively, uh, it's cells that can uh, organize for specific anarchist ends. Let's say, um, this is what I brought up like last night on the, the Unshackled Liberty podcast. Um, let's say the ANCOMs, CAPs, SINs, mutualists, and agorists all decide to start working together against the war on drugs because we all understand that the war on drugs has deleterious consequences to all of our forms of libertarianism. That, you know, whether that be um, like the enhanced corporate and police power that it gives, uh, that, that it gives the capitalist class from a leftist perspective or whether it be the massive amount of government increasement and uh, nanny statism it allows um, from the right, right? Yeah. So, so we can all agree, literally all of us, all of us anarchists um, on that bottom strip can agree that the war on drugs is a bad thing. So in that regard, with, with respect to that, we can all sort of agree that if we got together um, to, uh, to end the war on drugs, that, uh, that that would be a good thing. And that's what an ANCOL coalition would be. It would be, the, the prime idea of anarcho-coalitionism is a massive uh, conglomerate of coalitions, all of anarchists, um, with massive amounts of these little sub-coalitions in various sectors. Um, all generally working uh, to together um, in a loose-knit scenario where none of them have to communicate with one another um, to smash the state. And effectively, they would all be linked loosely 
um, but loosely enough that uh, that one like branch could be burned if necessary in order to avoid the rest of it burning with it. Um, and there's a lot of private communication. There's some cypherpunk elements of it. Um, but there's also some like primitivist sort of snail mail signal systems, that sort of thing that you could do. But effectively, what like, and I'm writing a book for it because I've made this point repeatedly that I wasn't very smart about my reveal of it because it makes sense in my head because I've already had all these stupid like conversations with all the voices in there about uh, how this would work. <laughs> but not everybody is privy to those conversations. So, um, on the surface, it doesn't sound very plausible to some of them, especially some of them who have way too deep roots or personality cultists or entryists or people like that. Um, they they see this as a threat to like their paradigm because their paradigm includes their particular way of working with the state um, and working against forms of anarchy because those aren't real anarchists. Um, but basically what this means is that all these like loose-knit uh, coalitions would all be working loosely together to smash the state. And like, for instance, in your local area, you could work to uh, hide your local drug operations uh, to, in the war on drugs, blah, blah. You could, uh, you could work to form militias that solved crimes uh, and were called instead of the cops so that the cops weren't uh, able to patrol neighborhoods so effectively. You could form signals things where you could help like local dealers with their craft. Basically, it's a long series of gangs that are against the state, which is the single biggest gang. Um, and it's, it's designed to leverage uh, mass movement appeal by engaging with specific issues rather than taking all of the state on uh, from an individual perspective. Because while it does sound kind of romantic, one person against literally everyone, it's not very practical. So we need all hands on deck. We need all these different anarchists engaged, and if they aren't, they're not, you know, being that effective. So the point of ANCOL is to get everybody engaged where they can on a small-scale effort so that they can, you know, effect that change in their local area, and eventually this, through basic agorist tendencies, will fuck the state out of their revenue, their power, their local market share, and the monopoly on violence, um, and eventually root them out, um, unless they decide to nuke us all, which is a distinct possibility. But, you know, if they don't do that, this is the, to me, most efficient and easiest way to get people on board with libertarian ideas and anarchy uh, in, a, in, in a conclusive environment. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Uh, the other question I had for you is that uh, we here at the group... Obviously, we see a lot of uh, the posts and share the posts regarding uh, the police and the murders, the beatings, the dog killings, the rapes, and the trafficking and child porn that comes out of the Free Thought Project. Do you think that the Liberty Movement is making any progress raising awareness with the horrible state that we are in with the police, which is pretty much the standing army of occupation uh, here? Partly. Um, and I say that because some people in the libertarian movement have a problem with the more extreme solutions uh, to the police. And what that means is that, like, so I, I, I automatically post the Free Thought Project's police brutality articles using uh, If This Then That. And, um, like, a decent chunk of the time, people who call themselves libertarians will side with the cops. Um, 
either by default or eventually. Um, and, you know, or, or they'll say like, well, we want to see what happened before. Or they'll say, oh, this article is biased or manipulative. Or they'll be upset with the ads on the site. Um, a lot of people, um, and libertarians are included in this category of people, uh, don't like things unless they're just so. And, um, and I do think that, um, that the awareness that places like the Free Thought Project uh, spreads is immensely valuable, you know, obviously, or I wouldn't be one of the people spreading them. But um, I think that a lot of uh, the problems exist in people's minds and that, you know, no amount of sharing articles will help, which is why, you know, when I've made the point, for instance, that cops have by gunfire alone killed a thousand people on average per year for the past four years, uh, people... <laughs> not only don't believe me, but even when I show them a source which has the numbers, don't believe me. Or they try to find a way to justify it. Like, oh, all those people were armed. Yes, yeah, so what? So the fuck what? Cops were armed too, obviously. They're the ones who shot them dead. You know, and then they say, oh, there's a war on cops. If there was a war on cops, more than 50 a year of them would die from intentional causes. That doesn't happen. 50 a year is small beans, especially compared to the thousand plus a year that die by cops' hands. So, um, a lot of people, like, they either don't want to believe that all cops are like that, which they fundamentally all are. All cops are bad, and I've got a, like, 45-minute video on my channel about why that is. Uh, Jeremiah Talks, if any of you want to watch that. Um, and another... Uh, like hour-long video about why the war on cops itself is bullshit. Um, and by the way, I've got a I've got a lot of these sorts of videos. They're long, and that's why most people don't watch them. Um, but they're information-filled. So if you if you decide that you want to be one of the rare ones and actually care about the facts, those videos are available. But in general, uh, people don't care about those facts, and that's that's the problem. We're making progress. But a lot of people don't want that progress unless it's flavored the way they like. Like, they won't take the medicine unless it's candy-flavored. So, um, like, to be very specific, um, yes, it is helping. But the state has so many more numbers, um, even within, quote, libertarian circles, that it's working, but not ratiometrically. We're, we're still losing. <laughs> and uh, and that's the thing. People don't like hearing that. They don't like hearing my pessimistic, cynical perspective because I'm telling you that, yes, even though there's all this momentum, we're still losing and we're still probably fucked. And I, I tell people um, all this is going to go down in flames in like a, a mass apocalypse, the likes of which will make revelations look like a children's story. <laughs> and they don't like hearing that because obviously you don't like hearing that. Um, and they also don't like hearing it from somebody who looks like me or who isn't like even 30 yet. And they wish that I came in a different package or that my information was presented nicer. And, you know, I get that, you know, but at the same time, that's still bullshit. And it's still going to be the gradual death of everyone, because while our freedoms are being sacrificed, those freedoms are inherently tied to our humanity. So every sacrifice of one freedom is a sacrifice of at least a human. And uh, reasonably speaking, 
many more humans because these people don't care about you. The, the elites in the Bilderberg group, they do not care about you. The, the people who, who like worship at the ideas of population reduction and, uh, and want uh, the Georgia Guidestones of 500 million in perpetual harmony with the earth, they don't give a fuck about you. So we're losing to a, a cluster of psychologically damaged, uh, power-hungry psychophants, and most people don't give enough of a shit to stop being tribal within even libertarianism. So that's why we're going to fail. But uh, it's like Robert Heinlein said, you know, certainly the game is rigged. Don't let that stop you. If you don't bet, you can't win. So I'm here to bet, even though I'm probably going to lose everything to the house. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, like you said, I mean, if it's the only game in town, we might as well give it a shot. I mean, like you said, what the fuck do we have to lose? But um, let me ask you this. Now, as far as the the coalitionism is concerned, like we we like we're a little bit harsh towards ANCOMs, and I've had we've had like Sal Mayweather on the show, and we've talked about this. Like sometimes I really felt that they were masquerading as anarchists because they really are just Bolsheviks. That they're just you know they really are tankies. They're not really anarchists because I well, don't those know. Those are entryists. Okay, there we go. They're entryists because I, I I haven't met any real anarcho communists yet, but I'm sure that they're fucking out there. I'm confident that they're out there, but they seem to be the minority on that side of the quote of the uh, of you know the the compass, if you will. Do you have that same experience? Do you have any interactions with ANCOMs? I mean, anything like that? I mean, yes, but I also and this is this is part of the problem. Um, people come from their particular school of thought, um, and they think the only people. And I'm not saying this is you, um, because you know we haven't talked that much. But what I am saying is that for many cases, um, I've found that people come from their particular ideological school of thought, and, um, and they believe that the only people who have to prove themselves are the other guys. So, um, yes, I, I would say that that's my vast experience with everyone. Most people are fake as fuck, including on the right. And when you end up with people who say that Rothbard can do no wrong, which is like, to me, 85% of people who call themselves ANCAPs, um, that that mass majority, um, most of them haven't read, like, even up 1% of what he put out. Um, and they certainly aren't familiar with his Paleocon alliance, um, which eventually ended up in ruins, because, as Konkin put it, when you try to align with the party arcs, you lose libertarianism, right? So it's true that a lot of people are just, you know, Trotskyites or, um, or Bolsheviks. They're, they're tankies who support the idea of the new Lenin or Mao. But it's also true that a lot of people are Pinochets or Hitlers or Mussolinis. And those people must be opposed too. So... We need to root out the, the, the tankyism as much as we need to root out the fascism and the overt Nazism. And there's so much in it. There's so much in libertarianism that applies to that. Um, in, in the same way that we got to root out the pig apologists, the pedos, the, 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 the corporation apologists who don't mind that all these corporations are taking advantage of the state. Um, the military industrialists who say we still need a strong standing army. 
Um, you know, there's just a lot of bullshit on both sides. And to say that, you know, uh, because it exists strongly on the left, that the left is a problem, um, it is only accurate and reasonable if you're also willing to say that it exists on the right. Because the right has a significant amount of state cucks, too. So, like, and there, there are people who call themselves libertarians while still sucking off Trump. The Liberty Hangout crowd is a cancer. Um, <laughs> and the fact that they get to run around with ANCAP colors calling themselves libertarians um, while having their primary spokesperson be somebody who says she's not a libertarian but is a conservative um, and who's worked directly with InfoWars should be fucking concerning to people. Um, like, reasonably speaking, this is entryism in action. The Red Hats are not black and yellow, and never will be, at least not if black and yellow is true to its black at all. But, you know, a, a lot of people who are anarchists are the people who Joe Biden might have actually been accurate in calling not black. They're very specifically uh, not rooted in anti-state principles. They're rooted in a hatred of the left or a hatred of the right. Um, and in doing so, they're willing to work with the state as long as it means the reduction in power of one of those wings. And that means, ultimately, they're cucked. They lost to the state already. And, uh, and all their, quote, fighting against it ultimately amounts to nothing more than lip service and meaningless interactions with worthless people. So, yes, Sal is right. There are a lot of people like that. There are a lot of people who aren't like that, who are probably way too put off by the way people on our side talk about them um, in order to fully interact. Um, but there's like there's also definitely tankies on that side, right? But there's also a lot of people on our side who need attention too, and it's not just them who have to prove themselves. I think that that's a hundred percent fair, and I think one of the tests that I I don't know I don't publicly uh, say that I'm testing, but you watch, let's say, you observe, and if you say anything complimentary towards Proudhon or Kropotkin or Malatesta or Deruti, and they fucking lose their mind if you're talking about, quote, left anarchists, because if you look at the history of the movement, it firmly starts, if we're going to play the political spectrum game, it firmly starts on the left-hand side. And mm -hmm. a lot of those people seem to have a real problem with coming to terms with that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand yeah. that we can have many different, like Keith Preston came on and told us that it's almost like Christianity, where you have all these different, uh, like, you know, sects that, that all break mm -hmm. off from the original point. Okay, great. But I'm okay with getting along with them. And I also, we did a show on uh, on revolutionary women. We talked about Lucy Parsons. We talked about Voltaire de Clare. We talked about these wonderful women who definitely probably wouldn't agree with us economically, which is fine. Lane Wilder? Uh, no, we didn't put her in. Uh, we put uh, Kate. She threw her medals at the Queen because her uh, boyfriend and, uh, and her father were killed in the First World War, and she threw her medals at the Queen. I have a whole list of it. I can send it to you. They were, they were uh, really, like, of course, Emma Goldman made the list, too. Uh, really intelligent, revolutionary human beings, you know, and a lot of right. The, the right anarchists, if we're going to call them that, They'll they'll kind of like look at they, they they don't like to hear that shit. Those are all commies. They don't want anything to do with it. And it's like, well, okay, fine. But without them, you don't make it to this point. There's there has to be diversity in thought. There has to be diversity in belief. And I firmly agree that 
if you want to live in a commune and you want to share property in common and live peacefully and not bother anybody, I think that you're more than why. Shit, I think we should do it now. There, I'm mm-hmm. sure there are people that do it right now as it were. Oh, there are. You, you know, can, if, if, you're, if you're interested in that, just Google intentional communities and you can find one near you. Excellent. That's good to hear, you know, but the right anarchists seem to just like absolutely lose it. And that kind of points out, for me at least, like, oh, okay, you're still holding on to your rightism more than, like you said, you're, you've lost the black part of your flag and you're still hanging on to the gold part of your flag more than the black part of your flag. Right. And, and you know, that's the reason I brought up Wilder. Roseline Wilder um, was the person that uh, Albert J. Nock looked up to the most. And Albert J. Nock was the first American to call himself uh, libertarian. Um, so, and, and this is acknowledged by, by people like Mises and Rothbard. Um, but people who hang on to the yellow but not the black often believe that uh, that Rothbard was like, or, or Mises were the first when they came much later, and when they weren't around during the uh, during the sort of uh, introduction of uh, leftist anarchism that happened when uh, when Joseph de Jacques uh, immigrated to um, to America um, and brought over that particular flavor, because he was the first person to actually use the word to describe a political system. Um, so uh when it comes and you know that's that's one of the funny things is that they'll uh say that oh yeah i'm okay with agorists but i don't like leftists when agorists when agorism is a leftist mentality and philosophy um and when Konkin himself started the alliance for the libertarian left um they'll say i don't like the left uh, with their Lysander Spooner uh, profile picture when he was a, <laughs> a, a an anarcho-socialist. Um, you know, they'll ignore the vast tradition of uh, individualist and market anarchists because they don't like the word capitalism or what it implies, um, you know, and they'll just say that, oh, this is all just communism or socialism because they don't understand either of those things. Um, and in doing so, they make themselves repellent to the class of people who has frankly been at it longer. Um, and that's uh, a real shame. Like Gary Chartier um, worked on a, a collection of essays from multiple authors called Markets Not Capitalism that I would recommend people read um, because it, it makes the great case that, hey, maybe we shouldn't use the term capitalism. Maybe there's a significant problem with that, and maybe we should move away from all sort of state-associated terms as an umbrella concept. And that makes sense to me. But for some reason, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people not to use uh, previously statist language to describe something allegedly anti-statist. And because of that, there will always be fertile ground for entryists in the right libertarian spheres. And um, arguably just as fertile as the entryist uh, ground for the left in the form of Trotskyites and like um, Bolsheviks, you know, tankies, them, them crowds. Like, uh, you, you want to talk about other podcasters? I've been on uh, Pete Quinones's Free Man Beyond the Wall multiple times, and one of the times was to discuss um, the fact that a bunch of right-tards were calling um, Nazis left-wing with no justification and no acknowledgement of historical fact 
Um, and I went over the fact that there was the Rom purge in Germany, which, you know, most people haven't heard of. They haven't heard of Nachtfeldit. And, um, and because of that, they're like, ultimately, uh, uh, not very well equipped to discuss whether or not they were left wing, because they don't know that the Nazis themselves purged the entire left wing. Um, so if you're interested, you can listen to that podcast, because that's a long conversation. But like... The, the the episode is called Everything I Don't Like is Leftist. Um, <laughs> so, like, there have been people growing very disenfranchised, especially lately, watching a bunch of right-cucked libertarians um, in name only uh, suddenly start to say that, yeah, okay, jackboot thuggery is okay as long as I disagree with their politics or as long as they're, you know, in the same area as Antifa at the time that something went down. Um, and because of that, all their revolutionary spirit is sapped, effectively, especially since a lot of them are opposed to uh, revolution as a concept, because effectively they think that the market itself is enough to smash the state. But they don't realize they're playing right into the neoliberal agenda's hands by saying that there are elements that could smash it that shouldn't be used, because the, the status quo loves that. There's a reason the octopus loved people like the Cato Institute, you know? There's the reason that, uh, that, that the majority of, quote, libertarian circles are mass-infested by corporations. It's because they think they can take advantage of libertarian momentum uh, to make sure that everything stays exactly the way it is and doesn't change at all. And that's not libertarianism, and we've already lost if that's our bulwark. You know, what's funny about uh, the right libertarian, sometimes I think that most of them are Republicans who just like more guns than the average Republican, because it's soon, like, they, they'll have, I'm serious, like, Chris knows, man, like, you'll have the fucking Blue Lives Matter flag, like, uh, right yeah. next to yeah. the Gadsden, and it's like, who the fuck do you think is going to take that AR-15 from you, man? Like, it's... You 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 can't play. You have to pick a team if you're going to do that. Because certainly, like I I firmly don't I don't think that the military is equipped to carry out that kind of Gestapo activity. I do think that the police are far more equipped and have a better knowledge of the local area if there were to be some sort of gun confiscation or checks or anything like that. I really feel that the cops are the ones that would be the ones to do it because they're already embedded in the communities in which they quote serve. But yeah, I think well, are the ones who are doing it. I mean, true, Brianna, true. Taylor, Duncan, Lemp. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, 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 and I like mean, they can just shoot you for having a gun. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that is true. Every person I served with, they were like the first ones to freak out. They're like in the military and they're like, shit, if they made everyone go around doing that, I would be at my house making sure they weren't taking my shit. Like they're not going to be the ones out there enforcing it. Well, maybe some of like, well, like some of them will say that, but when push comes to shove, exactly. But it's like I don't know many cops that are like saying the same kind of thing. But maybe that's just my limited worldview and the people that I'm like talking to. Oh well, most cops aren't, and part of the reason for that is because they weren't held to the same training rigor, nor were they held to the same entry requirements, nor are they held to the same legal standard. Like things that are called war crimes are things that cops can do generally uh, all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, the rules of engagement over in community. Afghanistan and Iraq were, like, insane. But now it's like you can kill anybody in the streets of America because they made you feel unsafe. Like, they didn't even right. have to be armed. Right. And, and, and like, 
for instance, this morning, um, uh, article automatically went out about a million dollar settlement over a cop who f- <laughs> fucking fired into a a crowd of children and uh, and and hit one of them in a, in the back because they were playing with an obviously orange tipped BB gun. Oh, jeez. Um, and and like qualified immunity was tried, but actually failed in this case. For once, qualified immunity wasn't allowed. Um, because the courts recognized that it was just so fucking stupid that the cops decided to do this. Right. So, like, well, the cop, uh, singular, but the, the, the point is that, like, like, I've, I've had veterans on my show before. I mean, I've talked to many veterans, and I grew up in a section of California where they trained them. Um, but ultimately, uh, they have much stricter rules of engagement over there than they do here and when they come back um and some of them become cops they're like why are we doing this and they're supposed to accept the blue coat of silence you know and adopt the thin blue line etc etc um because anything else is practical insubordination or outgroup behavior and basically cops are a cult they're a cult within the broader cult of the state, and uh, you know you back your fellow officers no matter what, even if they're being complete cunts. So, <laughs> like that's what that's what modern American policing is, and they're trained by d- people like Dave Grossman to think that if you kill people, you'll come better, um, and they're they're also trained by the IDF, who's an occupying force in Palestine. So. Like, realistically speaking, these people are trained to be an occupying army who gets off on death. And that's not a good paradigm. Um, not not for de-escalation, not for reason. I always talk about th- Detroit threat management because I think that they make a great example of how to operate on a forced de-escalation basis. And, uh, like, the last time I talked to them, they said they had killed nobody. Ever. So, that's what the like rest of the u.s police force could do if they wanted to and um if there weren't things like the war on drugs the war on poverty um if there weren't uh aggressive banks and corporations gentrifying neighborhoods so that poor people were made more numerable than ever there wouldn't be as much crime to begin with mandatory Um, minimum sentences yeah so the state creates these problems claims that they're the only solution and violently suppresses all alternatives, of course, you know, <laughs> of course they'll be the ones to, to take your guns. The cops will definitely be the ones to take your guns. You know, but some people are just bootlickers, and, and a lot of those bootlickers are libertarians, which is why uh, some of these people still give veterans discounts for, for products and still have um, some sort of, like, uh, sympathies toward the state. That's why even the most, quote, libertarian um, uh, cop, which was Dominic Izzo, still wants a war on the people, and he wants to unleash people's brutality on anybody that isn't, like, uh, isn't participating in a victimless crime. Well, that's great, as long as you can prove that they were, uh, in fact, committing uh, a victim defense, because otherwise... You're encouraging all these morally unscrupulous people to use violence basically wherever they want and then just create a post hoc excuse for it. 
Congratulations, Dominic. You're a fuck mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. <laughs> uh, right, right. Go ahead, Sometimes Chris, whatever you have. Do you have what some, go ahead if you have something else, man. Like I didn't want. To uh, I mean, I didn't really have like any questions in particular, but I did just want to say that, like definitely a lot of the stuff that you're talking about like really resonates with me. Like earlier on when you're talking about like essentially boils down to like kill your idols, you know, like improve upon their ideas. Absolutely agree with that. Love that. Um, uh, what else was I gonna say? Uh, shit, I forget. But yeah, well, but anyways, and, now, I just I just been sitting here listening, man, and just soaking up what you were saying. So it definitely cool. like it, it, it resonates with me, man. So I, de- I definitely appreciate it, um, and, and appreciate and you other, coming on. And two other things: read Diogenes, read like look into cynicism, because I think people don't understand it well enough. And I think if more people were more cynical, the world would be a better place. And also read the Ego in Its Own by uh, Max Stirner, because I think. Um, a healthy mix of uh, of uh, egoism and cynicism uh, complement any sort of uh, anarchist ideology well, even if you don't want to go full into either. Uh, excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes, and uh, yeah, hopefully sure. we'll uh, and also put. I'm going to link uh, your um, your video that you were talking about. The one specifically, I have it written down here. Uh, that we're going to connect uh, to our show notes so that if anybody wants to take a peek at it, we'll take a peek at it. But if anybody else has anything, uh, we can wrap it up here. Angel, if you have anything, do you? I do not. I was just going to say um, in regards to like some of the police um, brutality articles and things like that, that um, I often see that you tweet that I retweet. Um, I'm kind of taken aback by the amount of dogs that they actually kill like it kind of you know i'm taken aback by it honestly i i don't understand how you can kill an animal like that i mean i know they kill humans just but for some reason society at least in our society people are way into pets and they kind of get outraged more over people killing pets than they do other people so it just surprises me that they still don't even acknowledge that that that's how much people love the police or support the police that they just don't even recognize that they kill animals as well well you know there's first off i don't i'm not a proponent of animal rights personally i think uh I think if we can eat them, they don't have the right to anything else. But um, under that same uh, pretext, animals then become uh, co- like custodial arrangements under their uh, under their owners. And effectively, uh, what killing a dog does is it demoralizes a community because you don't want to be put down like a dog. Um, and it also allows the cop to exercise power over a being in the house um, or on the property um, to immediately establish that they're willing to exercise it on anyone else. So, like, it has that element of intimidation and power to it, which I think cops get off on, as as, as I think I've already made pretty clear. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) But it also, like, what what it does is um, it gives them an excuse to say, that we're armed and we're dangerous because we've got to protect ourselves from these beasts. 
So there's that element of it. But then there's the other element of uh, really cementing the class division because, you know, as people are well aware, cop dogs are considered normal officers, which effectively means that they're human beings, just dogs. And, uh, and if you kill a cop dog or assault a cop dog, it's considered an assault on an officer and treated the same with the same level of gravity as if you had assaulted or killed a human, which means that these cop dogs um, are a higher caste of animal than your dog. And even when they attack you, or even when they attack your dog, like there was this uh, dog the, the, the other day that this, uh, this, this cop dog was trying to intimidate through its own fence. And then the cop dog sticks its head through the fence and gets its muzzle latched onto. Because, you know, it, picture it like, you know, Carrie, right? Or sorry, not Carrie, The Shining. Get my Stephen King mixed up. Where, where the guy's <laughs> coming through the door with the axe, you know? If you had a chance to grab that axe and take it away from him or grab his hand to make sure he couldn't swing it anymore and was trapped in one place, I think he'd probably take it. And that's effectively what this is. It's just the same sort of defensive control mechanism because that dog is coming through with its sharp-ass teeth, which are little, like, little shifts um, if you look at it from a defensive standpoint. And if you don't control that dog, um, you might lose your life. Which, you know, effectively, that's all this white, like, pit bull or whatever was doing. Um, and the cop just immediately pointed a gun down at it, pulled his dog uh, away slightly so that it had, he, he had enough control to hold on to the dog afterward, and then just shot the, the, the owner's dog in the face. And, uh, and the dog just died there on the ground. And, um, and if, if the person had seen that happen and seeing that their dog was under attack and shot that police dog, they'd be in prison. Because it's not just a demoralizing tactic. It's not just a tactic to say, you know, there but for the grace of cop go I. It's also a tactic designed to say you're less than we are. And if you disagree, we've got metal for you. Yeah, that's, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, really, the police dog and the police officer, it's the warrior class and you're right underneath it, or I mean, maybe even a step below that. You know, it's it's really concerning. And you know, I I we go through it on like you know, Angel owns a dog, I own a dog, Chris owns a dog, Randy owns a dog. We always go through it in our minds, like you know, if you carry a weapon and you see somebody assaulting, well, I mean, first of all, if we're gonna play the property game, that is my property. It's my fucking dog. I own it. But like right. you know, it's also you know a companion, a friend, something that you know it's 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 a, it's an, an important part of your life, and if you react emotionally, which I think most of us would, and you like you said, you put holes in the dog that does that. Chances are you'll be lucky if you end up on the docket because the cop is just going to fucking unload on you, probably mm -hmm. more often than not. At least that's my estimation, because then they have these state funerals for the fucking dogs that they put them in yeah. a casket that you pay for with your fucking tax dollars. No, it's just it's out of control. It's out of control. Angel, you went there. You know, we, we fucking hate the. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of the police. And that's the moderate position. Yeah, I was saying, none of us are. <laughs> none of us. On but I just well, like I didn't even realize, I guess, that it was happening so often. Do you know what I mean? Like they were actually yeah. like 25 a day. Yeah, It's it's. It's crazy to me that, I mean, it's crazy to me that they're actually, like, 
assaulting other people and and killing people and doing the shit that they do to other people but it's also like they're just doing it to whomever it doesn't matter if it's a, a person an animal whatever they just have like no i don't know they don't Scribbles. have any respect yeah they have no respect they don't they just they think that they're in charge which probably most of the time they are dealing in those types of situations because you're going to get murdered so you better comply unless you want to die right right right. so like i just i don't know i'm just surprised at the amount of brutality across the board well i'm not it's it's a direct symptom of the system in fact if they didn't have their international hegemony if they pulled out of all the countries that have not directly attacked the u.s government um and, the, and, and they had a bunch of roided out troops coming home, um, there'd be a good strong potential that they would have um, much more police brutality because they'd have no uh, sort of sexual outlet for it. Because let's be real, a lot of these people get into it because they want to be violent. A lot of people get into the armed forces because they want an excuse to kill. Um, not all of them. I'm not even going to say most of them. A lot of them just get into it because they want an education paid for. Um but what I will say is that, like, there there are enough people doing that that if the, they didn't have, like, a foreign enemy to fight, there'd probably be a lot more bloodshed here at home. Um, so, I mean, it, to me, it's a direct symptom of the fact that this system is, it, 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 like, the, the school system itself is a K-12 indoctrination system based on the Prussian indoctrination system uh, called school. That's the reason we call it school. That's the reason we have all these like German-sounding names for things like kindergarten, um, because it comes from that region. Uh, because the the Prussian army needed a way to get their soldiers to run toward gunfire. It's an obedience mechanism, and it works. And from the ground up, kids are taught that violence is always acceptable if it's done in the name of authority or alleged law and order or blah, blah, blah. And nobody questions it except a distinct few. Um, And usually those people are beaten down by the system uh, growing up because they don't want referrals. They don't want detentions. They don't want suspensions. They don't want their parents to be disappointed in them. So um, many of those people just be hammered into place anyway. And it creates this Pavlovian conditioned society where everybody's used to hearing that bell and going for their sweets or going for their yard time that people don't mind the prison planet that's slowly being built up around us. And uh, and it creates this violence culture, this culture of war against everyone instead of trying to find peaceful cooperation methods or some sort of anarchistic solution. Everybody's at each other's throats trying to find the best way to justify their violence so, I mean, the police are just a symptom of that. They're not the actual cause. They're the symptom. And if we address the root cause, it's the culture itself, which is all, like, rooted in long-term justifications for a long series of ethical missteps that we really need to unlearn in order to move forward. Excellent. Uh, I appreciate that. And if, uh, Randy, do you have anything else that you would like to add? Uh, the only thing I wanted to go back to was if you could say that quote again about how the game's been rigged from the start, but you can still place bets or. Uh... Uh, certainly the game is rigged. Don't let that stop you. If you don't bet, you can't win. Exactly. So it's like to me, that's uh, I don't know if it makes you think about like the whole thing with nihilism, Jay, because it's just like, what's the point if like 
if this doesn't matter, if I can't place bets, if there's nothing I can do, I might as well kill myself, like that kind of thing. It's like there is some sort of room for change. It's like it might not be the... It could be like 1%, but that's still better than nothing. And it's like if I have nothing else to do with my time, if like I'm going to be alive until some external force ends my life, like why not try for something better than where we're at? Because otherwise it's like I'd be better off dying right now. Well, yeah, I mean, that's for me. At least that's where Camus comes into play, which was such a pivotal thing for me to read as a younger man uh, that really got me on board with, you know, that constant, you know, yeah, you have the nihilistic side of you saying, well, this is all meaningless and it's bullshit. And then Camus casually saunters up and says, well, should you kill yourself or have another cup of coffee? Well, I'll take the cup of coffee every single time. Yeah, sure, that's fine. Because if you're not in the game, even if you do have a 1% chance of winning, if you're not in the game, you can't win. So, yeah, I, I, Mem- I appreciate and that. And Memento Mori. Yeah, the reminder, yeah, don't forget about your friend Death. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, and, and just to be very clear... Uh, nihilism isn't about meaninglessness. It's about crafting your own meaning in a totally naturally meaningless universe. It's about not seeking the meaning of an external validator, not seeking the meaning of an old cultural um, mile marker, not like mooring yourself in tradition or, you know, uh, pleasing others, but finding your own meaning that makes you want to live. That's what that's what Nietzsche wrote about, and I recommend everybody actually read Nietzsche because nihilism was heavily tainted by the culture of uh, mass media, who made it seem like a bunch of them were just depressed, dejected teenagers. But um, I have very strong nihilist tendencies myself. Of course, I'm also a solipsist, so you know, <laughs> I think uh, I think I can't verifiably prove that uh, the universe is real. So. Uh, ultimately, there, everything man. is just assu- ultimately everything is just assumptions, and we're just doing the best with what information we have. Yeah, absolutely. I can't uh, I can't disagree, and that's and that's very true, man. I do use unfortunately the uh, the modern interpretation of what nihilism is, and you know, Big Lebowski aside, like jokes aside, yes, no, it is. <laughs> it, it does have a much deeper, you know, it it doesn't um, have this. It's not it's not as negative and as dark as. It, the, the, the modern interpretation or how it's been askewed. Uh, like it really is, it almost, there's almost a beauty to it where you accept that and then you go about making your own meaning while you're well, floating that's the around. that's absurd anyway, isn't it? I always thought that was, yeah. maybe it's in both, but... I, I guess I guess Camus had a, had a much bigger impact on me uh, when I was reading. I don't know that uh, everybody has their own way, but that but Camus for me was, was huge. Well, stoicism is huge. It's very, it's very useful. At, like, I, at least when you're an actual stoicist, uh, I, I find a lot of stoics are not very stoic. Um, they just sort of say they are that so that they can um, validate their approach to life. Um, but a, a lot of people who who identify as stoics have never read Camus and have no intention of doing so. It's it's the same with a lot of other philosophies. So you got to find the diamonds in the rough that aren't being fake ass pussies. that's true that's true and with that if anybody else has anything we'll go ahead and wrap up anybody on the floor anybody one two three all right well i'd like to thank you jeremiah for coming on to our show 
We sincerely enjoyed it. Uh, it was extremely enlightening. I'm going to put all of this stuff in the show notes. You're welcome back here anytime. Consider yourself having an open invitation to join us here. Uh, we really enjoyed it. It was uh, informative. I'm sure it'll be informative for our listeners. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to say hi to our patron, also our friend Paul B from B-Town. Uh, you can get at us at Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook at UseGuysPod. And Jeremiah's information will be in the show notes. Thank you once again, and uh, we wish you well. Bye. Peace. Yeah.